We've more shiny new stuff launched at Lama to look at today. So first of all, we've got our brand new 700 uh, Gen 7. It's the first time we've shown that publicly in the UK. We launched that in Germany at the end of August. It's a range of drum screeners. You can screen from either 2, 5, 10, 15, all the way up to 80 millimetres. The most important benefit is the um, environmental aspects of it. And kids will be learning about the importance of a good Lincolnshire breakfast this week. Learning about healthy breakfast and, of course, celebrating Lincolnshire's finest produce. Sean Sparling's back with agronomy advice and frost news for beet growers. We'll see how the markets are doing and what the weather's going to do to us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. Lovely to see and chat with around 350 farmers and allied trades at the La dinner at Lincolnshire Showground last week. Some of the best beef and Lincolnshire poacher cheese I've ever enjoyed. Thank you to Simon, Ella, Lucy and Oliver from Masons and Partners at Louth Livestock Market for your hospitality. A very enjoyable evening. Last year, you may remember, we reported on a direct drilling trial at Andrew Ward's Lednam Farm. This week sees a follow-up meeting at Newark Showground. Andrew's with us. What's happening, Wardy? It's a direct drilling sort of summary, I suppose, of the whole of the season we had when we had our direct drilling trial. And that went really well. A lot of good feedback. We got a lot of results, if you like, and a lot of data that we've collected in that time. And we thought it'd be good to put a conference together. So along with Agri, we've got this conference at the Newark Showground, and it's on next Thursday, the 26th of January, 9 o'clock, uh, till uh, lunchtime with a hot lunch afterwards. Is this for, for anybody? Is it open to anybody? You don't have to be an Agri member? No, exactly. You can be any single, anybody you like. You don't have to be um, anybody that subscribes to Agri or has Agri agronomist on your farm uh, or deal with Agri. So it's open to anybody um, who wants to come to it. The more the merrier to a degree. We've also got Philip Wright talking, who has his own company called Wright Resolutions. And Philip will be talking about the cost of production, looking at soil health, looking at carbon, the link to carbon credits, if you like, as well, the cost of establishment, cost of production. Uh, we've got Steve Corbett from Agri looking at the results of the of the actual trial. We did lots of uh, data recording in, in the trial, such as uh, tissue test analysis, root mass assessment, uh, percentage establishment, a uh, whole morning. But we'd like as, as many sort of what we call true direct drillers to come, who people who've been in it a long while, who some of them have had criticism of the event, if you like, and said we didn't do it right. Well, now's your chance to come along and say what you thought, why we didn't do it right and what's your view on what we need to do to improve it? When I came along to the direct drill day, there were one or two there who were still very sceptical about the process itself. Do you want them to come as well? Yeah, exactly. We need to learn ourselves. This is the biggest thing about it. And I didn't just have the event because I wanted to prove that our system was correct. I wanted to see if there was other systems around that was going to be better than ours in our situation. And as it turned out with the spring barley crop, there wasn't any other situation uh, or any other machine that was better. And so at the minute we know for spring cropping, we're right. But what we're going to be looking at as well, and we want people's input into this, is the future trials and the direction of our, our iFarm, as we call it, going forward. And uh, and any other programmes, any other trials we can do. And we're thinking we maybe have a direct drilling trial in the autumn this next year rather than the spring. So it's things like that. But yeah, as many people as possible, register with Agri, uh, come along, please have your input. And if you're a regular direct driller, then yes, you know, we really would like your input into this. All right. And where do we go to register? To register, you go to becky.cox at agri.co.uk 
and just put your name on there who you'd like to come and uh, and that'll be it and turn up nine o'clock at Newark Showground and I'll just also at this point like to thank the Newark and Notts Agriculture Society and the Newark Showground for letting us host this venue there great venue and uh, hopefully we'll get upwards of 200 people there and just remind us of the date again the date is January the 26th which is next Thursday 9am start and it will finish about 1 or one thirty with a hot lunch lovely thanks Andrew great thanks Steve Education, 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 as someone once said. Never more important to ensure that the next generation understands what we do. And to that end, this week sees the Farmhouse Breakfast Week for Children back at the Lincolnshire Showground. It's part of a busy 2023 for the education team at Lincolnshire Agricultural Society. Coordinator Susie Stone, what's happening this week? So students will be getting hands-on with lots of fun farm-to-fork activities, all interactive, learning about healthy breakfast and, of course, celebrating Lincolnshire's finest produce. As you say about the journey from farm to fork, this isn't just about coming and having a bit of fun and a nice breakfast and cooking some stuff. What are they actually learning when they're here? That's it. So they'll be taking part in lots of small group activities, uh, rotating around porridge making, omelette making, uh, sausage and cheese muffin making, but also they'll be learning about the egg production process and also the farming story. So where your produce comes from, the process it takes from field to fork, really. Now, it's been a couple of years since we've actually done this physically. I know we've been virtual uh, because of the COVID pandemic. But do you find that kids are getting better at understanding where their food comes from or do they still think it comes shrink-wrapped from the supermarket? Well, it's really interesting because we do get a varying difference in, in background knowledge. But yes, we get the don't quite realise exactly where their breakfast comes from. So it's fantastic to dispel those myths and really learn that that process is quite a big process and um, it doesn't just turn up on the shelf in a supermarket. There's so much work behind it and so much work that happens within the county as well. I know schools can't kind of now register to come along for one of these days, but they can still get involved online. Yep, so um, for the last uh, two years throughout the pandemic, uh, we've been able to gather a bunch of resources, virtual guidance and support that schools can access if they would like to. So our programme is booked up with schools, but we can send those that information out if people would like to work on it within their school environment. Um, All of our information is on our Linkshire Showground website as well. And this is just one event in a quite a programme of events for 2023. What have we got coming up next? Up next is um, our Schools Challenge launch event on the 1st of February. So that's launching our Schools Challenge programme, all about getting involved in challenges based around food farming, uh, the environment. So a really exciting way to listen to guest speakers, get lots of top tips and help and information. We also have our Agri-Food Careers event coming up on Tuesday, the 7th of February as well, which is inviting secondary school students to learn about the agri-food world. Excellent. Now, with the um, Schools Challenge launch event, schools can still get involved in that, can't they? Yes, uh, we're still taking sign-ups and all of the information has hit schools. But if you'd like to hear more, we're happy to help and support. (laughs) Details again on the Lincolnshire Showground website. That's correct, yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Susie. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. To the frosty fields we go now. Yes, he's back. It's been a while. Good morning, Sean Sparling. 
Yes, morning Steve. Seems a long time since we last spoke, doesn't it? Short and sweet though this week, as it must be blindingly obvious, or rather definitely obvious, as we're in the oral medium. You know, I've been out wandering across fields over the county for the last 14, 21 days or so, and I have to say that things look pretty good in general. That cold snap that we saw last week, coupled to the one we had in mid-December will have done an awful lot of good in terms of controlling the remaining latent aphid population. Remember, we need runs of consecutive minus sixes or lower to really impact bird cherry oat aphids in particular. And it's been cold enough for that last week, just as it was in December. So there's no sign of aphids out there that I can see, not even a hint of little aphid footprints in the rime frost. It's been plenty cold enough too for slugs to be particularly active above ground, and that's a good job too with soil temperatures so low and crops not likely to be growing away from any of that damage. While I'm talking about aphids, by the way, the frost in December won't impact upon any decision as to whether or not we get a cruiser derogation, thymothoxam on sugar beet for drilling in a couple of months time but it takes minus seven to kill 50 percent of the misers persicae aphid population which are obviously the beet virus vectors and you know we know that from many many years of work and trials at rothamsted research but january and february temperatures have got far more influence over any potential decision to allow a derogation for the use of thymothoxam insecticide treatments on the 2023 beet crop So we require a continuous run of below average day and night temperatures throughout January and February to drop the overall average temperature in order for the need for that derogation not to be triggered. I think it's only been cold enough not to trigger the derogation five times since 1965. But a cold, hard January and February is what they'll be looking at. And it's all about now how the aphid population is likely to be affected and temperature rules all of that. So When you think about it, non-neonic dress seed will be being sent out next month, just three or four weeks' time in some cases. Also bear in mind that with the restrictions on following crops with thymothoxam and the timescales involved, things are going to get very, very complicated, particularly where you have other flowering crops in your rotation, probably even more restrictive than we saw on last year's 32-month statutory interval between sowing thymosoxam-treated seed and flowering crops. So planning is going to once again be absolutely crucial, but record-keeping will be even more so. Also worth considering that the forecasted incidence of virus yellows for 2022 harvest, last harvest, was for 68.9% of virus incidents across the national sugar beet crop. Now I grew an awful lot of sugar beet last year that didn't have thymothoxin dressing on it and working off the Rothamsted model forecast where aphid flight was anticipated to begin from about the 19th of April last year and we know we can trust those forecasts in that modelling system because they were just 24 hours wrong according to trap data and I monitored those untreated crops very very closely. I worked to all of the threshold and with one one well-timed application of flanicamid, we saw very little virus in those untreated crops at very acceptable levels anyway. And the timing of the incursion of the aphid is vital off that forecast, actually. Um, it all depends how long they're going to get to be in the crop and how small the crop's going to be. In 2021, Rothamsted predicted the 18th of May and 8% incidence of virus, and it was absolutely bang on. It was a very low virus year. But 2020 was an 85 percent forecasted incidents and a flight date of the 25th of March and we all remember what happened in 2020. So 
we do have there a very reliable and robust series of protocols from Rothamsted for this forecast. So we know that we can trust it. And the last three seasons have proved that absolutely. So we wait for those decisions to come. This is IPM in action. Also, staying with Sugarbeet, we had a formal confirmation this week that frost insurance has been triggered in Sugarbeet with a start date of the 15th of December 2022. There's nothing for growers to do with that, but it has been cold enough for that to be triggered oilseed rate then getting hammered by hungry hordes of pigeons rabbits and deers in a place or two remember you only have also nine more days to get any outstanding propizomide products on so if you're looking at some of those crops which were hit by flea beetle you should now be able to make those decisions as to whether they're worth keeping make a call also as to whether the conditions are going to be right for the inclusion of any fungicide it's plenty cold enough for light leaf spot to be doing anything and it only protects well if the weather is going to protect you you might as well let the weather protect winter wheat winter barley looking a little bit tipped in a place or two and still showing those herbicide uptake symptoms across the county with the slow growth and the cold soils not allowing them to grow out of it but the newer green growth should rapidly take over as soon as things start to warm up so nothing really to worry about there spring barley drilling underway as soon as the conditions allow i would imagine so all in all the crops that we put to bed before christmas are still there the potential is still good and you have to think about it you know think back to autumn 2019 when we didn't get any crops in the ground the potential for the harvest is always going to be good as long as you've got crops in the ground and we are not sure to those so bring it on let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean see you next week the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook industrial estate grantham supplying the region for over 40 years Last week, we heard about some new farming equipment and tech launched at the recent Lama show. More shiny new stuff to look at this week, starting with a new range of tractors from Fent. Here's Ed Dennett. So, first of all, we've got our brand new 700 uh, Gen 7. It's the first time we've shown that publicly in the UK. We launched that in Germany at the end of August. So, it's a range of tractors, all new models from uh, 200 horsepower with the 720 right up to just shy of 300 horsepower with the, with the 728. So, that's been really, really popular. A whole host of new features and benefits on there. Such and, as? Well, transmission. Uh, so we've basically got our new Vario drive transmission, which has come down from the larger tractors onto our small ones. So essentially that gives you independent four-wheel drive, uh, traction control on a tractor, essentially. So much better um, traction in the field and better better output. Um, all new engine also, we've got our new Katana 850 machine here, so that's our forage harvester, and that incorporates a lot of the changes that we saw on our 650 machine that was released in 2019, 2020. Completely revised crop flow system right from the from the uh, chopping cylinder right up into the chute. All new engine on there, so a six-cylinder leap air engine. We've also uh, just shown our new Model Year 23 Rogator sprayer, all new nozzle bodies on there. And then also we've been launching our Fent1 off-board operating system so far, far management tool uh, for task control and all that sort of stuff. Where could potential customers go for more information on Fent? Fent.com and then all your information will be there. All right, Ed, thank you. Lovely, thanks so much. Cheers. Coyote launched a range of screening machines at the show and a new utility vehicle. General Manager Patrick Desmond tells us more. We've got the factory-fitted K9 utility vehicle. It's a factory cab. It's fitted with heating and aircon for the cabin, which is a step up for us because normally it's just with um, heating. It's 50k as well, which will appeal to um, a, a lot of farmers. There's a strong demand for 50k. There's electric um, speed proportional power steering 
come standard with the urethane spray coated load deck which is good for the longevity of the machine and alley wheels just to give it that bit of a sparkle there so it looks a bit prettier it does very much okay. so there, so that's that and what's this we've got in front of us here yes we've got the zembla screening range of machines the first unit is towable from site to site even in remote areas it's driven by either three-phase electric mains or three-phase electric generator petrol it's a range of drum screeners you can screen from either 2, 5, 10, 15, all the way up to 80 millimetres. On the smaller unit, it's just two separations. Big stuff through the end of the drum, smaller, refined stuff on the end of the conveyor. But on all the next models up, it's a double drum, which gives us three separations for an even more efficient and uh, you know, satisfactory product for landscapers or people just trying to transform their spoil into a quality product there line okay. and the tractor behind us yeah the tractor behind us is uh it's 115 boosting to 125 that's a hx model coyote that's that's new for us for this year the range goes from 90 100 and 115 boosting up to 125 this is unique in the fact that it's got coyote's own 125 horsepower engine. We used to use Doosan, another South Korean manufacturer of engines, but now it's it's wholly owned, which means that all the tractors in the Coyote range are now Coyote's own engines. All right, Patrick, thank you. No, thank you, Stephen. And finally, with a range of electric UTVs and ATVs, Hisun, Area Sales Manager Roger Satchling, what's the benefit of going electric with these vehicles? The first, the, the most important benefit is the um, environmental aspects of it. Um, we've got a lot of customers now that are driving towards a zero emission policy. We've got um, uh, various charities and the National Trust, for example, um, they are uh, dictating that their all new vehicles have to be zero emission. And then beyond that, you've got the convenience, the quiet, the smooth operation and so on. Okay. So what have we actually got on the stand today? Today we've got uh, two machines. We've got our entry level with a lead acid battery at a very low price point. And we've got our one down from the top of the range, much more powerful, lithium batteries, faster, 40 mile per hour, can tow uh, plenty, can climb 45 degrees, and basically will do everything that a diesel UTV would do, but do it quietly. Okay. And these are, what, two people plus how much at the back? Uh, two people plus we, we rate it at 300 kilos. We know that people will... Uh, push the boundary so we like to set it at a fairly modest level but we do have a four seat version as well for carrying four people plus the same amount of gear okay and the big old question with any electric vehicle is range capacity how long can you keep running them for each day for the vast majority of our customers it's a day's work comfortably they'll do 50 miles which around a farm is a very long way um, and then trickle charge it back overnight ready to go again the next day and running costs well, that's a, a bone of contention. Um, recent electricity increases clearly have impacted on us. It works out about £8 to fully charge one from, a, from flat to give you that running time. Something we found that the customers that tend to seek us out are often electrically motivated and have their own solar energy or, or wind. So for these guys, they're getting it for nothing. Okay. And if somebody's interested in this, where can they go for more information? Uh, probably the best thing to do is look on the Barris website or uh, Google Hyson. Thank you, Roger, and all the exhibitors I met at Lama, which returns next January at the NEC, giving us plenty of time to save up for the parking.
Let's see what the markets have done this week, starting with livestock from Louth. Auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday, the 16th of January, starting with a prime cattle which sees steer sell to 259 pence per kilo or £1,757 for GS Paul, while the heifers top at 268 pence per kilo for Shaw Brothers, with them topping in the pounds per head at £1,652 for GS Paul. Moving on to the cool cows, just a handful on offer to top for A.W. Lewis and Son at 169 pence per kilo or £1,314. This week was store cattle week. Tremendous trade from start to finish. Saw store heifers top at £1,260 for W.H. Jakes and Sons with the steers topping from the same good home at £1,160. In calf cows uh, this week, just a couple of Lincoln Reds from T. Hunter to top at £1,000. That wraps the cattle up and moving on to the sheep. A much larger show on offer with national trade just beginning to dip. Sees an SQQ of 217.15 pence per kilo. Topping for H. Smith & Sons of Theddlethorpe at 241 pence per kilo or £115 per head. Double the number of cool ewes forward with 140 on offer to all in average £99.64. and pence. Looking one of the better markets sold this week. To top for Shaw Brothers of Binbrook at £156. Finally, just a handful of store lambs on offer saw longer keep lambs to top for Messrs Chapman at £70 per head. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week, both buyers and vendors. Tomorrow we're back on with all classes of prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep with entries needed for all sections. So please not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with the Grey Market Review, Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. European markets this week have continued to feel pressure from competitive Black Sea exports alongside global and recessional fears. Some interesting figures have been flying around this week with regards to the size of Russia's 2022 wheat crop, all of which self-speculation on the exportable potential. Rostat, who is a Russian-owned state statistics body, believe the figure is around a whopping 104 million tonne. The USDA placed it at around 91 million tonne. And finally, the International Grain Council pegged the production size at 95 million tonne. Big differences, and if we were to take the higher figure as gospel, they have a lot to move and everyone else needs to compete against it. Chinese demand will also remain a watch point for most in the next month or so. The uncertainty around Covid within the country leaves a question mark over Chinese demand for global grains. Another article I came across this week seemed to imply that their population has started to shrink for the first time since 1961. I think it would be a little pessimistic to conclude that this will be bearish to demand, but interesting nevertheless. The start of the week saw a weakening pound, and in fact we saw the lowest points since September versus the euro, this being when Liz Truss had a fleeting stint as PM. This made for some fresh export interest. We need to see continued sales if we want to move our exportable surplus, and this is a good sign that we are well-priced to make this happen. Having said all of that, midweek saw the exchange rate rally sharply. We all must remain on our toes. <laughs> Milling wheat premiums continue to stay strong, but they are at the top end of where we would normally trade. 60-odd pound premiums are not to be sniffed at for quality group ones. Feed barley is the one probably looking the most vulnerable. With a smaller pig herd, there is less domestic demand, so we are very much reliant on exports. Old crop supply and demand is likely not to change unless President Putin intervenes in some awful way and global markets react. We have been tracking French and US markets. I believe this will continue. The UK domestic buyer can buy when he wants and pick business off in the spot. The date of mid-March when the Ukrainian grain corridor gets renegotiated could be key. 
Thereafter, spring weather takes over, which will then determine stocks and requirements for carry into new crop. If you need to move spot grain, sell into a rally. On the malting barley side, again, it's reasonably negative news, I'm afraid. Consumers are not coming forward with bids and the export market isn't much better. We saw a similar lull at this time last year with a bit more interest picking up mid-February. I hope we will see the same this year, but once again, time will tell. Depending on where you are, premiums have dropped to around £25. I know this will sound rather uninspiring, but we must remember we are still only in January. On to allseed rate, the COVID levels in China are once again a watch point here, but equally important to keep an eye on the expected crop levels in South America. Weather forecasts are starting to see something different. It may be too late, but at least Argentina have rain in the forecast. This has affected beans and rapeseed badly in the last 48 hours, with US soybeans down to a two-month low. Brazil, however, are behind schedule with regard to harvesting progress with mixed weather of their own. Prices for this week, feed wheat, March 210 to 220, April 215 to 225, November 210 to 215, and May 24, 215 to 225. As I say, milling wheat premiums are still holding at around £60. Feed barley, March 195 to 200, and May 180 to 190. Please call for malting barley interest. All seed rape, February onwards, 440 to 450. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Alice. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Looks like more of the same, certainly for the first half of the week. Frosty nights and cold bright days, a light southerly breeze and daytime highs no more than 3 Celsius. By the middle of the week it starts to change, warming up by Wednesday but the wind picks up to 20 miles per hour, veers round to the north and brings with it some rain for the second half of the week. Temperatures both day and night hovering around 6 or 7 Celsius. Next week, we look ahead to the return of the Lincolnshire Farming Conference, consider fertiliser made from fish and a new agricultural advisory service. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.